in July of 2019, I had a chance to catch up with an old colleague, Ardita Karai. Ardita is one of those people with a very strong voice, but with a very gentle, empathetic touch. She's always been so passionate about people, and in my experience working with her, what impressed me the most is her genuine passion for agility and for making customers better. I know you're going to enjoy listening to the time we spent together and the conversation that we had, not just because she's such a great agilist and great coach, but because she has a really strong opinion on how to do transformation without the use of a formal framework. Now, this is something I'm a huge believer in, so I know you're going to enjoy hearing her perspectives and her take on it based on her current experience working with a major financial services client. Anyway, we spent so much time talking that I've decided to break this up into two pieces. In part one, you'll hear all about how we got here and what her general take on agility and frameworks in large enterprise agile is. And in the second part, she'll get really specific and talk about the kinds of coaching behaviors and steps you need to take to do a frameworkless transformation for yourself and your teams. Anyways, let's get started. Part one of my conversation with fellow coach and Torontonian Ardita Karai, this week on the Badass Agile Podcast. Greetings, team. Welcome to the Badass Agile Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Greetings, everybody. Welcome back. I have a special episode for you today. I'm with an old friend of mine, uh, Ardita Karai, who I've known now maybe 10 years, yeah, something, in, the, something yeah. in that range. And we're sitting here in your client site today, uh, enjoying a muffin. I learned a lot about cupcakes already this morning, but, <laughs> but I wanted to speak to you because you and I go back a ways, but also um, you were at the Detroit conference and I was trying to get you on tape that day yes. and I couldn't get you. I Sorry knew, about you, that. That's okay. <laughs> you were doing this cool presentation on uh, frameworkless transformation, mm -hmm. which I really wanted to see and I didn't catch. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping that you'd be able to share a little bit about that with our listeners today. Before we do that, first of all, welcome. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. And can you tell us a bit about your background and your history before we... Yeah. So a little bit about me. I'm... Uh, um, I became, um, I got into Agile from um, my experience when um, I was working as a developer at Alias Wavefront. So some people, I don't know if they remember that. It's a 3D software company. I remember them. You do? Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, it is one of the best experiences I've had uh, professionally. And I've learned so much. And we started doing Agile without calling Agile. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, that's where I learned what good looks like, you know, in really? professional environments. And and I'm trying to bring that experience now even in other places. Um, however, things change. All the good things sometimes go to an end. Uh, I left Alias Webfront and I was a scrum master at Kobo. And then I was a coach in uh, different several organizations. So too many to mention. But uh, I'm really enjoying my experience right now at one of the banks here in Toronto. So tell me, that's wonderful. But tell me what was so great. You said you learned what good looked like. Mm. So what does good look like from an agile perspective? Um. 
It is a misconception that agile organizations are always in chaos and changing things and everybody is moving around and, you know, pivoting all the time. Um, to be honest with you, good agile experiences tell me that organizations know what they're doing, have a clear vision, people are thoughtful, they have time to do their craft well. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about technical debt, there's no need for that. Give developers the right time, the right goal, the right tools, learning, training they need, and they will do a great job. Right. Um, you have a very strong collaboration with your uh, clients. Uh, we had so many beta programs where people from our clients would be helping us and we would co-create our next version of our, pro our product. So it is that thoughtful, intentional way of working, uh, continuously improving, continuously looking for better ways to do things and a strong relationship with the clients. So it sounds like they did Agile on purpose rather than let's install something that makes yeah. us faster and cheaper. Yeah. Actually, the when I started there, the word Agile didn't exist yet wow. because I started in 2000 and Manifesto was written in 2001. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, they, they started doing index cards. They started doing wow. stand-ups. We really didn't call it Scrum. We really didn't call it Agile. It was just a good practice mm -hmm. to do hey, this sounds like a good idea. I heard somewhere, I read somewhere. I was at a conference and people were talking about it. Let's try. Right, right. So one could argue that the conditions for transformation and for agility in a firm like that are better because they're smaller. They can kind of do what they want. In your case, technology was the primary business. So often when we work in places that are, you know, you mentioned financial institutions, technology is not their primary profit bearer. Uh, technology is, in fact, a cost center. Yeah, I have to argue that a lot of CIOs on banks, some five years ago, they started saying, we're not a bank, we're a technology company. Right. Because technology started breaking uh, and disrupting sure. their model, their mm -hmm. business model and everything. So um, technology is in the core of a right. lot of things that we do. We want it or not, like right. it or not, it is there and it's going to interrupt and it's going to change and it's going to make things better. Smaller doesn't always lose anymore because right. it used to be the big eats the small. Mm -hmm. Now the, 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 that has changed into fast eats the slow. Right, 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 right. So whoever is fast is going to eat, no matter how big you are, you're going to be disrupted because a smaller, faster or even a bigger, faster right. company is going to eat the cake. <laughs> Got it. When you and I work together in a retail space, very, very large Canadian retailer, right. and the CIO from that organization had previous experience running you know, a basically a agile, yeah, agile mm -hmm. technology center and did it fairly well. Do you think that they did it well? Uh, because it seemed to me they had like a whole floor dedicated to co-located spaces, mm -hmm. and that was rare at the time. Mm -hmm. They were investing in continuously improving the practice. They were very supportive at the executive level, mm -hmm. even if the business maybe didn't always get it or wasn't quite up to speed mm -hmm. because it was very much a um, 
you know, an independent network of owners. Yeah. So it was very hard to bring the business together yeah. in a meaningful way. What was, was that your first experience with agility in a big uh, environment or how did you progress from that small <laughs> alias wavefront to where you are now? Um, no, I had another one, a bigger one in the middle, which was uh, WSIB. Uh, right. And I'm going to mention it <laughs> by name here, which is an interesting organization because it has also that element of uh, government, um, which in a lot of cases we see government and agile not to be on the same sentence, <laughs> yeah. merging well. Yeah. Um, so um, the, the retail that we're uh, that you're mentioning is um, it actually was a was an improvement from uh, my previous experience. And in the sense that uh, although there were a group of uh, owners that had a lot of saying and they were not always on the same page, they wanted different things, um, it was refreshing because, as you mentioned, the CIO was supportive. He understood technology. He created the space and the environment. He brought, um, uh, he brought my, uh, experts like the, the consulting company that he brought where we were part of. And, and we brought that knowledge that was hard to get in a short time. So in a certain way, you have to pay for knowledge. Either you allow space for people to learn, but that's going to take a while, or you bring consultants that bring the knowledge quick, but you have to then keep it and sustain it. So um, from that point of view, to be honest with you, I don't find it very different from other companies because it is a very common setup where more than one person is like a product owner and we have to figure out how to create a product or a feature or whatever the case is that it's going to benefit to all of these people and they all either are going to be very happy or they're going to be, um, they're going to say, I can live with this. Right, right. We're never going to be able to make happy all our customers, that's right. Especially organizations that have many products and many segments, customer segments. Uh, you're always going to do small improvements that are going to make happy one group, and the other group it has to wait for the next feature and the next release, and so on. Which brings up the point that the, a product owner, as we have conversations today, and people learn the product owner role. All they really hear about is, well, you're the person who does the prioritization and makes the call and what goes in next. But they fail to realize that often the most important skill is master negotiator yeah. because you're balancing the needs of a very large community of stakeholders. Yes. And so that, that segues nicely into what we're about to talk about, yes. which is the framework-less <laughs> transformation. So as we go from a small organization and then scale up to a, a, an international um, bank, effectively, financial institution, you now have problems of scale. Agile mm -hmm. works well, obviously designed for teams, eight mm -hmm. to 12 people. But the minute you want to make it work at scale, you encounter challenges. There's, you, you bang into enterprise architecture concerns, you bang into regulatory concerns. Yeah. So you have to be responsible in how you scale. Yeah. Hence the evolution of safe frameworks yeah. and nexus and all of those other things. What is your opinion on those? And how did you get to framework-less transformation? What's that all about? Yeah. So the company where I am right now, the client that we're uh, trying with this frameless net, um, agile, um, they have started their, their agile journey a long time ago. Uh, has been a lot of attempts into trying Scrum, into bringing safe, into bringing different 
anything in between. Um, when I joined this client was close to two years now, um, I joined the business part. And the business side was feeling, well, our technology partners have started this early. We have to catch up. And we noticed very quickly, very early, that doing pure Scrum was not going to work because this is a group that has a lot of things going on at the same time. Nothing fits in a two-week sprint. And no matter how much, unfortunately, we force people to learn how to split things into smaller pieces, there are some things that, you know, a baby needs nine months, right? right. <laughs> We're not going to, uh, some things need their time. So to uh, accommodate that, we started bringing elements of Kanban. So all of a sudden, the whole organization started breaking down some of the myths that they had about Agile, and that started giving us some credibility into, oh, okay, so Agile is not only that. By breaking myths, we started connecting with people. We started, they started telling us the real problems that they had. They started telling us where this is, where we are stuck with. This is what the bottleneck is. And bringing different elements of agile, different practices from team, from working as a team, so a high performing team, to how to manage demand and capacity and, you know, um, roles of the product owners, roles of the people in a team. Um, we were able to start showing some, giving them, giving to, to the team some tools and some practices that they could use easy they were easy to grasp, they fit into their uh, current process and gave them, a, gave them a chance to continuously improve. So just like that, we enabled them, we opened to them a door or many doors where they now could pull different ideas from. Right. And um, I, I was just tweeting actually today, it, the role of the coach, we, we sometimes see it as only the one that brings the ideas, brings the knowledge, listens, observes, and then brings the right practice. To be honest, I am trying now to bring the connection or connecting people as one of the roles of the coaches. Because once we started seeing things being done well in one area, we didn't have to go to another area and do the same thing. We'd go to the other area and say, oh, let me connect you with this team that is in a very similar situation with you. Talk to them what they did. And it is much easier because now they're talking with each other. And they're exchanging real life cases uh, on how they dealt with this. So it made our life easy to expand and to scale and to touch more people, more teams, more groups, but also it made that desire for learning uh, an internal need because now everyone is saying, hey, that group is doing well. I want to learn from them. Right. So I often say if you start an interesting fire, other people are going to look at it and say, well, I want to go get warm. <laughs> yeah. And you raised a couple of really interesting points there. Um, uh, let me back, let me, I'll mm -hmm. unpack them in reverse, but the latter one was that a real transformation to me defies a framework because a framework attempts to make something work in all cases. If you want something to work in this specific case, you should let the cultural norms and the people connect as you so gracefully put it 
so that they can figure out how best to make it work in their own culture. Yeah. Number two, if they build it, they own it, they're more committed to yeah. it. That's the other thing. Absolutely. One of the big problems with change is that if change comes from the outside, it's resisted mm-hmm. because it's a foreign body. Yeah. You started with something simple, and that was an important concept for the listeners, is that if you try to dump all of the change and all of the new process on people, that's another change-resisting, you know. It's confusing. Absolutely. Whereas what you suggested, I want to drill in on, you said we brought them Kanban because it's simple to learn, easy to use. Start where you are. Exactly. And when things don't fit Scrum... We don't spend all of our time trying to force the old way of doing right. things into a new way of doing right. things. We simply take things that make stuff incrementally yes. better yes. and say, there you go. Yes. There's like a 5% improvement. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And if you let them play with it, my experience with agility is they'll go, this is great. We want more. Exactly. And then let them choose the next tool. And as a coach, your job is to help them. That's what happens. It's like going through a toolbox and saying, now you need a screwdriver. Yes. That's a wonderful way of That's approaching what transformation. That's what exactly happened. Retrospective, right? Um, it is a scrum uh, practice, but we didn't miss it. Hey, once in a while, stop. Let's do a retrospective. Let's learn how is this done. Um, it was fun for them to hear Kanban as a different alternative of scrum, but we didn't make Kanban to be like, oh, now everything is going to be Kanban. It's, hey, you have Kanban, you have Scrum, you have XP, you have now also product management. Oh, you won't believe there's a confusion between product management and agile, right? A lot of product and business um, uh, experts have a different, um, have a difficult time getting into a team as a product owner, on the role of a product owner. And uh, to explain to them that, hey, Look into product management for you, pool elements from product management. And product management has existed before Agile, has existed before a lot of things. For that, they were so happy to hear that. Right. So you have now different people that are pooling from their strength, from their craft. Right, right. And they're bringing it together in the team. Which must be so much more empowering. Yes. Right. Because like you already know how to do this. Exactly. I'm just going to give you some tweaks and some tuning yeah. that'll make you a little bit more productive or yeah. happier or, or, or you know more sensible. A, a different point of view, right, on the things. Because as I said, a lot of agile practices are read or understood or shortcut, and they come to the team with uh, with the wrong perspective. Mm-hmm. So just putting things in the right perspective, educating them on how to read, how to learn, how to see, how to understand each other, it's an eye-opening. So how is the process different for you? Because in the framework world, we come in and we drop the framework and we start snapping pieces into it. Yours must be much more of a discovery kind of journey that's evolutionary. We tried that too. We tried dropping a safe. Um, And to be honest with you, there are good things in safe. Of course. Because safe is a collection of some good practices that have worked out there. Uh, However, Dropping safe and say, do everything as per safe just didn't work. Right. Uh, we have some groups that are creative. We have marketing team. They're never going to fit themselves into a box. That's right. They want the space for creativity, and that's their strength, right? How can you limit them? Uh, and so on with other uh, groups. Uh, or we had, uh, I had to work with a team that did uh, improvement in construction. So believe it or not, banks still have... Um, um, the the 
mortar and brick branches and those branches need renovation to continuously be up to date with the branding and technology and everything so uh, we had to do um, a project where we looked into shortening the time of renovations no scrum no simple kanban no safe nothing could have worked as a cookie cutter there so what we agreed to is we're going to work as an agile team. So we're going to collaborate. We brought on the same room uh, vendors, partners, everyone related, like everyone construction. You know how construction has many trades. We brought them all together and we figured out, hey, we're going to work together as an agile team. However, the solution that we took into sh shortening the time and maximizing and optimizing uh, different areas, we pulled from lean and lean manufacturing and lean mm -hmm. construction. Apparently, mm -hmm. it exists, lean construction. That's interesting. It, it is beautiful. Because you can't build the south foundation wall of a house, then build the second floor south wall, then build the third floor south wall. You kind of have to build a whole foundation yes. at once. So it defies iterative, scrummy-type development. So what did you do? And how did you bring all of those trades? So construction, let's assume, is a highly, um, you know, there's a bunch of highly dependent activities, yes. right? So framework yes. goes in first, but then the cabling goes in. You don't do cabling after the plaster's and, up. And uh, drywall right. uh, tr trade might be there waiting if the electrician hasn't finished. Right. And now you're losing money. So everything has to be coordinated. Right. Uh, one of the found foundations of the uh, lean construction that I learned as I was doing this project uh, is the fact that we work together in a big room. So guess what? Guess where the big room have you heard from? Safe, right? right, right, right big. Right. So yeah, safe big has plan. the concept mm -hmm. of the big room planning. Yeah. Uh, so lean construction has the big room concept. You bring all the trades together. You make that space easy to work with. So all the wires are up on the wall, not on the floor, where mm -hmm. it's dangerous. All the equipment is on wheels. So make it easy to access and move around. So if you think about it, these are all concepts that come from XP. Right. Make it easy, make the code easy to change, make build it well, high quality build in on everything we do. So it, it is it was amazing to see how the concepts that we have translated in software and business terms do come from um, you know, trades that have existed there before, just like we pull from lean and manufacturing. Construction had some really interesting concepts that, they just match and we just have to translate it in our language and they were very good thinking tools for us. That's fascinating. Let's back up to... Yes, I'm the, sorry. I no, no, no. You're not, you're not, this is interesting because I'm actually working with a construction group myself. So oh. I'm, I, I was hoping to learn a little bit more about what you did. We can talk after. That would be great. <laughs> I, I want to know, what did the listeners miss by not being in Detroit and seeing your presentation right. on the framework-less transformation? Right. Tell us about that. Ring, ring me back. Um, <laughs> um, so again, to go back to this big bank that we started, um, we started with... We tried, as I said, we tried Scrum, we tried Save, we tried Kanban, and we found out that we couldn't just do one of them well and force one of them. We had to give the option to all these different 
teams that we have that have different needs. You have people that are in operations and they really need a strict and more um, calculated way of working. And then you have creative people like marketing and uh, <clears throat> and similar and UX, right? And uh, they, they really need design thinking and all these other tools that work for them. So by looking into that, we gave up into forcing a framework and what we brought was the concept of we want to be agile. We need to bring the business agility in the concept of as a business, we want to be agile. We don't want to do agile on a team. We don't want to do agile in a program. We want to do agile as an organization. And what does that mean? That means responding quick to any changes in the market, uh, innovate, be ahead, because responding is just catching up with something something that someone did, but also innovate, be the one that is ahead of the others. And you don't lack talent in this organization. They're just busy. Um, it is it is amazing to see how much thoughts and knowledge is in uh, the same organization if you give people space. And um, so by moving our focus into we want to have an agility in the way we run the business, no matter what framework you use into running your project, we now brought the game up. We raised the game um, because now the conversation was about, okay, I can figure out how to be agile on my own space, but I need to find a way to be agile with my partners outside of my organization. And we're talking here not just like small teams, but we're talking VP and SVP in a big organization, which we're talking like thousands of people organization that need to come together and work as one and bring their partners together because very few things can be done alone in this kind of uh, environment. So with that in mind, we, we are pulling from business agility. And business agility uh, has more of a guidelines and areas to look for, but it doesn't have a, a framework. It doesn't force you to do one thing or another. And, and it fit us well because we were in the mindset of let's pull the right tool from the toolbox. Um, even with that, we were thinking, well, how are we going to roll now the business agility into all these organizations and connect them together? And we kind of had a sense of, okay, first we do this and then that. And then we found out that as soon as we hit the second group, we found that we had to change our approach. Mm -hmm. Because the first group, for example, was a um, line of business. And they are the ones that create demand. And in a certain way, with them, we started with, let's set some clear goals. And those clear goals trans translate into uh, clear output outcomes. And then outcomes create the outputs and everything we need to do. However, when we touched the second team, the second team was more like a, uh, like a shared service. So cut across many lines of businesses. And that wouldn't work for them. They were like, well, our goals are a lot depending on the goals of our lines of businesses. So where do we start? So we took a different approach with them and then said, well, let's start learning what is going on with you right now. Let's meet you where you are. Let's see what's going on well with you. What are your superpowers, right? What are you proud of? And then let's work, let's bring the right tools to help with the challenges that you're having. So again, that concept of 
doing one thing with a group and thinking that that is going to work with others is constantly uh, punching us in the face and we're constantly saying, yep, we shouldn't do that, we shouldn't do that. We have to learn and take the right approach for the right group. Folks, thank you for tuning in. Isn't she great? Be sure to tune in for part two of my conversation with fellow coach Ardita Karai next time. Until then, stay badass. Stay badass.